We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Setting the Pace. And joining me now is the one and only Zach Noble. He is the master of grading your trades on Twitter. Zach, what's going on, man? Well, just uh, another fun night around the league and uh, a lot of upsets tonight happening, it looks like. And it's a big comeback <laughs> win. So it's been a fun first half of the first set of games so far. Yeah, it always is fun at the beginning of the year to see these teams that get out to big starts and then eventually they just kind of fall apart or they end up missing the playoffs. And you kind of wonder what happened at the beginning of the year. Now, are there any teams in mind that you think that has gotten off to a pretty good start and might end up, uh, you know, not finishing that way when the season's over? Uh, I mean, the two obvious for me would be the Orlando magic and Cleveland Cavs. Um, I think both of them, I mean, I predicted both of them at the beginning of the year to uh, be in that eighth to 12 spot hunt. I mean, they're in a tier of, I don't know, six or seven teams that could finish as high as six and finish as low as like 13, 14. So um, I just don't think they're going to finish um, one that Orlando is in right now and Cleveland sitting in the three spot. Uh, I don't think they'll finish anywhere close to that. And uh, from the West, it would be definitely Sacramento. Uh, don't think they're going to even touch the playoffs. Don't even think they'll be that competitive all the way through, but um, they're just teams that are taking advantage of the good teams struggling or sitting out guys or uh, a little bruised up and not taking these first couple games that seriously. Yeah, no one. When, when, uh, the Pacers do play the Cavaliers on New Year's New Year's Eve, so uh, most of our listeners will be listening to this in the morning. So, you know, I'm, that's a team I'm interested in seeing because the Pacers got to play them twice in the preseason, and you know, when they were playing their starters, they clearly looked like the better team. But at the end of the game, the Cavs won it in the fourth quarter both times. So, you know, it's really kind of hard to get an idea of what this team's going to be because uh, Colin Sexton did not play in the preseason mm. as well. So it was uh, – um, who, who's the guy they drafted again? Okoro? Darius Garland? No, or th this year, Okoro. Yeah, yeah Okoro. Yep. And I think he's going to be out tomorrow as well uh, for the Cavs as well as Kevin Love. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting matchup. No no T.J. Warren as he's out with plantar fasciitis. So, 
just looking at this Cavs team, um, is there anything that you've noticed about them that they're doing different from last year that's gotten them off to a good start? You know, I just think having some structure with J.B. Bickerstaff in play, um, I think is a big help. Finally getting um, his legs on him, realizing it's his team and seeing a vision that he wants. I mean, the team was so in flux last year of guys in and out and um, just Andre Drummond coming in the middle of the year, that sort of thing. And Darius Garland had a really up and down year throughout. They were really uh, concerned of how they were going to play with Sexton, Garland, Sexlin out there, as they like to call it. Uh, just if they're ever going to like work together and people mm -hmm. were so focused on that year one. And then um, Andre Drummond just didn't look like he gave a damn um, last year when he, when he got there. Um, so now, I mean, it's a contract year for Andre Drummond. Uh, that matters. It's another year of um, Sexton and Garland developing. Sexton was really the only bright spot in all of Cleveland last year, and uh, he's translating even further, getting the Ball is Life podcast bump after being on our show, of course. And uh, <laughs> he's uh, showing out. I mean, I, I'm really liking the leap I'm seeing from Sexton again, and now Garland um, looking like the number, I think, four, four or five pick that he was. Uh, but he's everything I, I had imagined when he got drafted. Um, just had a very um, average or low mediocre year. So I think this team is really gelling. It's really uh, cohesive on paper too. Like they got their defined positions, they got their defined roles, and that's how a team where you might not think Sexton Garland would fit um, just looking at them as one individual player. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point talking about Bickerstaff kind of establishing that culture there. Moving on from John Beeline, who really just kind of was a disappointment mm -hmm. by uh, by all means necessary. I mean, this is a guy that I think a lot of people had high hopes for. Uh, had some great success in Michigan and then just completely came into the NBA and flaked out and unfortunately, you know, uh, made some inappropriate comments and got himself fired and lost the respect of the teammates or of, of, of his players in the locker room. So move on to Bickerstaff. I think that's a big, big key in the culture change and why guys probably seem more happy. But I also think, you know, you, there's a guy on this team that has been kind of talked about all year long. It's a very short year, but uh, this season, uh, Larry Nance Jr. And, and mm -hmm. he's just, uh, yeah. you know, no matter where Larry Nance has been, like he's not been like a great player, but I think he's a solid role player, and I think he's a, a guy that can make a difference wherever, whenever he's in the game. No, you make a great point. Uh, Larry Nance is definitely uh, maybe their most improved and impactful player. I mean, just three-point percentage. I mean, his shot looks so much better. Uh, if, like his release um, is the biggest thing I can see in his form. Uh, it's not flailing out as much. Um, it's just really straight on. His feet are good now, and – uh, it really had funky mechanics for most of his first seven years in the league. And it's crazy. It, it's taken this long and it, it shooting is a, is a skill set that has been developed so much over time. And just guys who decide to put it in a summer and get help from a Drew Hanlon type or one of these really good trainers out there. There's just so many different tools and whatnot. And I, I don't know what Larry Nance did, but whatever it did, he did, it's working. He's shooting a career high attempts and, I think it's going to stick. I don't think it's one of those early um, small sample sizes, but uh, averaging a career high in assists right now um, at four and a half too. like this guy uh, is getting usage. He's getting used. I mean, 
maybe that's all he needed to be, unlock his um, really good passing and playmaking ability. I mean, I know he's ha- always had that, uh, but it's being exposed because they know this guy uh, is a significant player on this team and what he can truly bring. I mean, it's almost like a Draymond Green-esque player minus – um, not such a good defender. I mean, he's a, he's a good defender. Don't get me wrong. Larry Nance is a very good defender. He's just not elite like Draymond Green. Uh, but the rest of the game is very comparable outside of uh, he's a way better shooter right now, and Draymond Green was a much better defender, I'd say. Yeah. Well, Pacer fans do not really care for Larry Nance Jr. as he had a game winner against them uh, back in 2018, about two years ago uh, from this date now. So Pacer fans are not too enthralled with him as a player from the, the, the game winner that he had against them. But I got to talk about Victor Oladipo. Now, this was a guy that he struggled in the playoffs, uh, really did not have a handle, seemed to be real hesitant. The offense for the Pacers looked incredibly stagnant during the playoffs, but now under new coach Nate Bjorkren, this season Oladipo has the lowest usage rate uh, usage rate of his entire career with the Pacers, but he's averaging 22.7 points, 5.7 rebounds, 3.7 assists, one steal a game. He's shooting 83% on his free throws, 56% from three, 61 from the field. He has a 73% uh, true shooting percentage and 119.8 offensive rating. So this guy has been on fire in the three of the four games that he's uh, that has been able to play, the Pacers have played. So what are your thoughts on Oladipo in this contract year? So first of all, it was amazing to me all of last year and just his recovery and his comeback from his injury of how many people are just writing him off immediately and like, oh, this guy's never going to be the same. He's never going to get back. You obviously don't know Victor Oladipo. Like, I've ever since college, I I've just looked at this guy as a relentless worker and that is super passionate and obsessed with this, this game. And there's no way he's going to just let his career fade off with, without giving it everything he's got. And I mean, it's 2020. <laughs> I think most people, I mean, when they're really young, like he is recover from injuries, unless it's year after year. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of like a Greg Oden. Okay. There's, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Victor Oladipo, I didn't think there was any chance he wasn't going to recover. And that's just one of the craziest offseason myths I, I was coming across over and over again. But, uh, yeah, everything you said about Victor Oladipo, I mean, is accurate. I mean, his stats, I think, are very true to, I mean, how he's playing on the film. And it's not like he's out there just trying to get his stats either and um, force stuff up and make make his um, – force known it's he's fitting in he's abiding by the rules Nate Bjorken's putting in play and what the other players around him Malcolm Brogdon uh, Sabonis what they're allowing him to do with his game and uh, it's working out awesome I mean I the only guy I'm worrying about on the Pacers right now is Turner yet everybody else I mean I love the fit I love what they got going on and it's a lot of fun to watch because there is so much talent now that Oladipo is getting back to form. Yeah. Well, I will say this because when it comes to, when it comes to Oladipo and Turner, those guys were the names that we all talked about, especially in the Indiana side of things, you know, those guys being the possible trade candidates in the off season. And then I think as we get closer to the trade deadline, depending on where the paces are at, their names could resurface. We'll see what happens. But at this point right now, like I think Oladipo, when I view Oladipo and how he's playing, I think, 
it, it, it makes ton it makes a ton of sense for him to buy into the system, not try mm-hmm. to overdo it, to, to pick his spots when he's given the opportunity and prove that he's back. Now I am a little bit shocked that you said you had no doubt that he would return to his former self, because this is an injury that no one has really successfully come back from and reached a level they once previously had like Tony Parker had, it came back and played, but that was towards the end of his career. It ended Charles Barkley's career. So this is a, you know, a very serious right. injury. So I don't know if the Pacers are, you know, I think when it comes down to it at the very end of the day, when it comes to the offseason, if he's still on the team, I think it'll all come down to the numbers, what Indiana is willing to pay him and what other teams are willing to pay him. Will the Pacers overpay for him if he reaches that point? I think there's a possibility they could. But at the same time, they've got extensions coming up for Aaron Holiday and TJ Warren in 2021, 2022. So that's something that you got to keep in the back of your mind. And the Pacers, we know, are a very, uh, you know, not cheap team, but they don't like to jump into that luxury tax if they can avoid it and they don't feel like they have the pieces to win a championship. Yeah. So it's, it's a tough thing. You know, that as a small market trying to get the, get the right fit in here. But personally, I am incredibly impressed with Oladipo his first three games in. Yeah. So to your point, I, yeah, I mean, that's going to be the thing you got to monitor the most closely in Indiana all year is Oladipo's happiness, the way he fits and how he's feeling about this situation here. Cause I mean, yeah, a small market doesn't want to lose a player that can return a decent amount back uh, for nothing. Uh, but also with that said, I wouldn't think about it even remotely until the trade deadline. Like, I wouldn't even consider, I mean, anything outside of, hey, how are we doing? Where, where are you at with things, Victor? And just trying to build a relationship, making sure he's happy and, I mean, he's comfortable here and everything. But, not, I mean, I wouldn't go – necessarily out of your way and just figure out because if you try to go out of your way too it could expose yourselves and uh, he could it, it might be easy for him to sneak things past them and whatnot um, of him trying to fake it so he doesn't get moved and he can just go on his own off after the year and a lot of teams um, will get played like that all the time so honestly I would just try to keep a bird's eye view and I mean just leave it up to it is what it is until the trade deadline and then really make a big sound decision based on where the team is and how he looks there. And um, yeah, I mean, if, if he looks great, I mean, it's all, it's all going to come down to his happiness. I don't think it's going to be come down to money at all. I think the money's going to oh, be okay. out there the same regardless everywhere. I really do. Um, I don't think, um, I mean, if he's playing great, Indiana will want to pay for him if they're winning, because then if he's playing great, they're winning. Right. 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 Yeah, I agree yeah. to some extent. It just depends on how the other guys play as well. Um, if this if this planner for continues to mess with TJ Warren, how does that impact mm-hmm. him playing? Because um, he was a huge uh, part of the Pacers success last season. This year, he's still yet to really, you know, get his feet back, you know, to where he once was, you know, get his feet on the ground and be that scorer that he was. But I also think it's going to be hard for him to, you know, there's just so many guys on this Pacers team that can score. You kind of brought up Turner and his fit and stuff like that. Like Turner right now to me is in the perfect. I mean, he's accepting the role and I think handling it perfectly because there's not enough touches between Sabonis, Warren, Brogdon and Oladipo for Turner to really get his fair shot at, you know, showcasing what he can do offensively but on the defensive end he is swallowing guys up at the rim 
leads the league in blocks. I think he has 20 total blocks through four games. So he's averaging five blocks a game. I mean, he's just been a monster on the glass, uh, protecting the rim. And he's, he's just a guy that I think defensively is continuing to improve and, uh, you know, evolve as a defensive rim protector and just a defensive player overall. But when it comes to, when it comes to Sabonis, this is a guy that continues to be the focal point of the Pacers offense. And if you watched any of those two Celtics games, you can see their focal point was stopping Domas and really kind of in a sense, like they do with Giannis, build a wall to keep him out of the paint. And if you look at his shot chart, I posted these on Twitter yesterday. I stayed up last night and was kind of researching all of uh, how he played and where he was getting his shots from. I mean, he touched yep. the ball pretty much every single possession, but that's where Vic and Brogdon and Warren kind of got their baskets from was feeding off of, you know, dribble handoffs, pick and rolls, or, you know, you know, when he, when, when uh, they would cut back door, Sabonis would find him, stuff like that. Sabonis was involved in so many plays, even though he wasn't scoring the same way and having that same impact. That's why I think, you know, Oladipo doesn't have to be the best player on this team and they can allow Sabonis to be the focal point and he can kind of thrive as that secondary guy, which I think is more his natural fit. So you're telling me uh, Turner's touches are incredibly high right now? No, they're incredibly low. <laughs> okay, okay. No, that's yeah, what no, I was getting on, at. On the offensive end, he doesn't like – I mean, I don't even know what uh, what his numbers are, but I'm, he's probably getting around 9 to 10 field goal attempts compared to the right. rest of the team. But I didn't know if he was getting more touches than, than his field goal attempts are putting out. So, yeah, there's no way he can be happy in the role he has offensively, right? Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, you talk about a guy just two years ago was starting over Sabonis and was constantly involved in the pick and pop with Darren Collison, which I'm sure you remember that uh, because they ran so many plays like that. But now it's pretty much he's a spot-up three-point shooter. He cuts every once in a while, but they're not utilizing him in that same role. And Sabonis has kind of just been that focal point, hogging the touches. I mean, hogging is a bad word, I guess you could say, but mm-hmm. they're, they're just more efficient when Sabonis – is that focal point of the offense. And so Turner's had to take a little bit of a backseat, but they have put Turner in a little bit more with the second unit, which I think has benefited him and gotten him some more touches. No, I got you. So that's, that's where I'm at on that whole thing, but um, he's been amazing defensively though. It's (laughs) he's all bought in on that. There's no way Uh, he came out and said it. (laughs) It's awesome. I I love watching him on the defensive side. I mean, Indiana, I mean, they're still carrying, uh, their defensive prowess underneath for sure. It's just um, the one difference I'm really noticing is the pace. I mean, the pace and um, is creating more of an offensive urgency and just getting out way more attempts, I think. And um, it's definitely a much more fun brand of basketball to watch. And a lot of that's coming with Oladipo being much better, I'd imagine. Yeah, that's part of it. But it's also just like the innovation, the creativity, the you know, with, with McMillan, it was pretty much do the same thing over and over. Like you would have never seen a Domas, a bonus fake handoff, uh, go to the basket and, and hit the game winner with, with Nate McMillan. That was not his go-to play. In fact, Pacer fans are very familiar. There's a play called the India play, which they ran while overseas in the preseason against the Kings in India. And TJ Warren hit a go ahead, or I think he hit a tie, a game tying three or something like that. And literally Nate McMillan called that play pretty much every time. There was a, a, a last, uh, last you know, second play, and the Pacers had the ball with the sideline out-of-bounds play. And it's like the defense just knew it was going to happen. The Pacers had no idea what to do. And so it's just like I couldn't believe he continued to run it. But Bjorkren, last night you kind of saw some of the same iter- iteration where 
Sabonis did hand the ball off to Justin Holiday, but then yep. Holiday got the ball stolen from him because clearly he was looking to hand it off to Brogdon or Oladipo, whoever was coming up the opposite way. And then Jalen Brown got in there and stole the ball. But, you know, the Pacers, are, they're three and one right now. And, uh, you know, some people had them missing the playoffs, which I thought was kind of shocking just considering the continuity of this team. But overall, you know, you talk about this new system, Zach. I don't know if you've got a chance to watch much of the Pacers game, but um, Pacers games this year. three full games. Uh, you watch three full games? Three full games, yeah. Okay, so I think personally right now, like if you're, if you're looking overall consistency, it's been Sabonis on the offensive end, uh, Miles on the defensive end, but some of that's really been a huge part of the Pacers' success is TJ McConnell with the bench. Yeah, no, he's been impressive, and I liked him a lot last year. I mean, he was very underrated, especially with the emergence of uh, Aaron Holiday uh, last year. That's what took away from uh, TJ McConnell being in the spotlight quite a bit. But um, Aaron Holiday has kind of been disappointing me this year. It's kind of the, the reverse now. Well, he's had a he's had a rough year. Defensively, the Pacers have kind of changed things up. So while their defense hasn't taken that big of a hit, they are playing a much more different style where they're not funneling everything to miles of the paint, which is shocking because Turner is still getting so many blocks, but they're really trying to get out there, switch a lot. I mean, I think there's been a couple of times I've seen Sabonis get out there and guard Jalen Brown, and he actually mm-hmm. you know, moved his feet pretty well and uh, stayed in front of him. So there's like they're doing different iterations, but I think Peyton Pritchard really had his way with Aaron Holiday in that game on um, yep. Tuesday night, oh, yeah. overplaying him too much, Peyton Pritchard get by him, you know, and Aaron, he's just a young guy. And I feel like, you know, a lot of Pacer fans want to see him be that primary ball handler. And with, with how consistent and steady McConnell is, I can see why it's hard for coaches to want to, you know, take away McConnell's minutes and let holiday kind of be unleashed as that backup point guard. But I'm hoping over time, uh, Bjorkren, who was brought in here to try to develop these younger players like the Gogo Batadzes and Aaron Holidays and Edmund Sumners of this team, will allow uh, for Aaron Holiday to get those opportunities to showcase what his potential is. Hey, ain't nobody developing Edmund Summerman. <laughs> Let's be honest. Oh, really? <laughs> You're not a big it. Sumner fan? Not at all. I don't think he really needs to see the <laughs> court a whole lot. But hey, I could be wrong. Maybe he is a Nick, Nur- <laughs> Nick Nurse in the making and he can just make. Well, Make if, any wine out of any grapes. I if you know. if you have any Pacer fans in your mentions, it's because Edmund Sumner is a beloved Pacer. I, uh, I know it. And, well, I think you're Eliza things, Johnson. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh goodness, Alize. Yeah, Alize. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't even say his name, but it's all right. Uh, if I didn't cover the team, I wouldn't know how to say it either. But um, Edmund Sumner, though, this is a guy that a lot of Pacer fans were wanting to start in the playoffs whenever um, whenever Sabonis was out. They're like, you got to put him in there to guard these three-point shooters because he is super lanky. That's one thing he's really good at, super lanky, and he's super quick. So if he gets his hand, you know, in the passing lanes, gets a deflection, I mean, he's going to finish that play. But I think his shot's really inconsistent. He's a little thin, you know, not strong enough to handle the the, the strength of bigger guards getting into his body. So, you know, Sumner, he's a, he's a fine player, but not someone I'm expecting to get a lot of time. But overall, you know, this Pacers team – just, you know, people might want them to make changes. I clearly wanted them to make a move in the offseason, but I'm thoroughly enjoying what they're doing this season, and I'm really excited for what they yeah. could be uh, in the future because if Oladipo can, like you said, get back to who he once was, I mean, 34, 34 minutes last night, that's got to be, you know, outside of the playoffs, uh, a, a season high for him since his return of injury. So I'm just hoping that 
little by little, he's able to just work through those kinks and just become, you know, an all-star level player once again. Absolutely. And let's be real here. If uh, Oladipo gets back to an all NBA type player as he was a couple of years back and Sabonis is true to the jump. He's in the middle of taking right now uh, being an even further all NBA guy that he is uh, that's, that's enough. And then you throw in Malcolm Brogdon in there, who's constantly improving and TJ Warren, hopefully with maybe miles Turner's fully getting back to the defensive player of the year type player he was. Uh, if he just keeps this up, yeah, it will be. And I'm not just talking about the blocks. Uh, but one absurd stat I just noticed is TJ McConnell hasn't shot one three in 72 minutes this year. <laughs> well, if you saw if you saw him wind up one in preseason, you would understand why. <laughs> it, it takes him seven seconds just to get the shot right, ready. Yeah. <laughs> I think his form has had to have changed. I haven't watched film on him for a couple of years from his form from when he was hoisting it quite a bit um, in his Philly days. Not not a ton, but I mean, he actually would take him on a game-to-game basis for sure. I mean, yeah. 27 of 62 was his best year, 31 of 89, um, which nothing to celebrate by any means but i mean it's still something it's still a guy that's not afraid to shoot him Uh, yeah (laughs) so it's a different dimension to bring a backup point guard uh that's plays like tj mcconnell that just refuses to shoot three well it's just weird because mcconnell's undersized he doesn't shoot threes and he's got no length on his arms like you know you look at aaron holiday this guy's like six foot two i think i don't even remember but he's like got a six foot seven wingspan like mcconnell doesn't have a right. wingspan he's just kind of got sh- like normal arms he's not got that freak athleticism but it's just it's just pure heart and hustle that get him that gets him those minutes on the court um but you know you brought up brogdon you said he continues to get better every year and i think this is a guy like when you talk about all the pacers players you you realize that brogdon is just that steady hand but a lot of people always talk about you know this team's potential relies on Victor Oladipo, relies on what Sabonis does, you know, what TJ Warren does. But I feel like every, I mean, ever since we've gotten Brogdon, he's kind of been lost in the shuffle a little bit as far as how impactful he can be. Mm-hmm. So when you look at Brogdon, just number one, how how big of an impact can he be on this Pacers team? And, and what are your overall thoughts on him as a player? Yeah, I've been a, the biggest, I shouldn't say the biggest, but as big of a Malcolm Brogdon guy as anybody, even since his Milwaukee days. I was high on him before the draft even. Um, and he's just, he came into the league as a winning player. Not many players ever do that and can do that. I mean, if you look at this rookie class in general, I mean, yeah, there's guys making impacts statistically. We didn't see him making, but they're not making impacts winning like Malcolm Brogdon did his rookie year. Um, and now then when he got to Indiana, he actually became uh, from an impactful starter to like a really, really high end starter. Like this guy, I honestly thought like last year he was, could still get to like an all-star level type player and all NBA um, got like third team. Not, I don't see ever any higher than that, but it's just once people start recognizing like how important he is to this defense. I mean, he's a very good on ball defender. He's an even better team defender uh, as smart of a player gets. It's just, he's not sexy. He doesn't pop. I mean, I don't know what, I I mean, he's like Fred Van Vliet in a lot lot of ways um, for the impact he makes and not necessarily as a player, but as the impact he makes. 
but people love watching Fred a lot more than Malcolm for some reason. I mean, yes, because of the speed, I think, um, and attacking the rim a little more. But uh, from an intelligence standpoint and having a guy that you know what you're going to get night after night, um, the, how, every team needs and wants Malcolm Brogdon, and he's on such a valuable contract. Like, it, it's wild. Like, I love this guy, and uh, I just wish he got to the rim more. That's the biggest thing. I yep. wish he was able to draw a little more contact and get to the free throw line because it would add such a higher dimension to his ceiling and a, his game overall. Uh, but, I mean, from – seven assists last year to bring an Oladipo back to come into form and still getting six and a half assists as steals are at a career high right now. Uh, I think all of his stats could stick. I just hope his three point percentage gets back a little higher, but Hey, he's shooting six attempts at 33%. I'm never going to balk at that. I mean, it's from a smart player like him that does a whole lot of other shit. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I have brought up that same point that you brought up about him finishing at the rim, because it's like, this is a guy six foot six, 230 pounds. Like he's got the body size. He should be able to finish mm-hmm. over other opposing point guards. And I know sometimes that he doesn't always get that defensive matchup because sometimes they might put the bigger guard on him because Oladipo is smaller um, overall in size. I think Oladipo is like six foot four, six foot five, and got about maybe, you know, 10 or 15 pounds less than Brogdon. Uh, on his overall weight. So I understand why some teams kind of change it up. And Brogdon usually finds himself guarding the bigger of the two guards as well when, when he's out there with all the depots. So, I mean, I, I agree with all of that. And you brought up Fred Van Vliet. And, you know, since since this is uh, – there's so many comparisons to the Raptors. When I look at Oladipo and Brogdon, do you see any similarities, any comps to Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet? Uh, I mean, quality and impact. Yeah. Um, play style, uh, somewhat. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, Rogdon obviously would be Van Vliet and Oladipo would be more Lowry, but, um, I mean, Oladipo is the most exciting of the whole bunch for sure. And then, uh, but I mean, yeah, quality and skill level and, <laughs> Uh, just what they what they bring to a team yeah very equal absolutely I think yeah. and I think this uh, Pacer I mean any team Malcolm Brogdon is on and Sabonis is on are always going to be one of the most underrated teams let's be honest yeah. I think they're two of the most underrated players in the league and I'll always think that um, one they're playing in Indiana too that's just the way they play uh, but I'm always a guy that loves the differentiators uh, the play styles the differentiations and play styles and I just love watching people who do stuff differently. Uh, and Brogdon is a guy that will always be able to play with anybody in any situation. And he's getting better. And it, it's a different team. It's a different way of play than it was last year. All right, Zach. So as we wrap this up um, with Pacers talk, and I'll give you the floor to talk anything NBA you want after this, but what is your ceiling and floor for this Pacers team for the rest of the season? Yeah, so it's all going to come down to T.J. Warren. Um, our, I mean, January 2nd, I mean, it doesn't seem like to be that bad. Um, what? I mean, what's what's your intel? What do you got for me? 
Well, I'm. I mean, what do you mean? What's my when's, answer? When's he coming back? I mean, how serious? Oh, is they don't, I don't know because like he didn't play in the preseason, but then he came back for the opener against the Knicks, and he was kind of hobbling. Then he kind of hobbled last night. Like you know, plantar fasciitis is something that doesn't go away and unless it tears. Right. You can't have surgery, so it's just something you gotta have to work through. So it could linger all season long, and they might just have to monitor it. You know, um, when it's feeling fine, play through. When it's hurting, you know, sit him out. I mean, this is a thing that. I'm not really sure. So that's kind of why I'm like, well, just, I would just say, assume he plays 75% of the games. Where do you see this Pacers? Uh, yeah. This The ceiling is for them. Then. No, absolutely. So, I mean, with that in mind, I mean, yeah, it is going to all come down to TJ Warren. Cause I see everybody else being who they are right now, if not even a little better outside of um, Oladipo's early sample size is quite amazing. And that, I mean, that could definitely drop it, especially from a percentages standpoint. And, um, I just, my biggest gripe right now with the Pacers is their depth. I don't believe in the depth whatsoever. Um, and one major injury, if Warren misses significant time, that's going to really hinder their ceiling, but say everybody on paper, people even develop, um, the ultimate ceiling where I could see this team, I can see them as a conference finals contender. I really do. Wow. Um, and the rest up from there is what do you, I mean, how much more can you get out of this is like considering Turner's role right now. Cause I think he has a way higher ceiling than Indiana is going to allow him in the role he's playing. Um, Aaron holiday has got a way higher ceiling. I just don't think he's going to get anywhere else this year. Um, than what, I mean, we're about to see. Uh, so with that said, I do think conference finals is a possibility. I really believe that uh, from a floor perspective, I mean, just with the team right now, I mean, there's always a, a trade that could happen. I mean, this team could get shook up pretty easily there. I mean, they're before the season, I think they were one of the biggest question marks with Turner and Oladipo uh, being halfway in the door, I thought. Um, so I think they could easily be like a 10 seed in the East. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wouldn't shock me. And even with this team right now, if they ran it through the end, I think they could still get to 10 seed but i don't i don't see that i I, my prediction is going to be at the this moment from what i'm seeing i'd say they're going to finish as a top five seed for sure and maybe even higher i think they could i mean at this rate they could finish two or three in the east i I mean it wouldn't shock me if they won even (laughs) the east uh but okay not i would be shocked if they won the east <laughs> I, okay i would be i would be a little surprised just are you talking regular season standings just yes that's it that's it yes yeah, i still would yeah. be shocked <laughs> let's be clear though. i'm not saying i'd be absolutely out of my freaking mind if they won the eastern conference in the playoffs yeah uh, but regular season i mean it's a shorter season you know i mean that 10 games is gonna matter for some people uh i just feel like they're gonna rest with i mean more back-to-backs this year again. And um, I just think people are going to be more focused on the playoffs in general. So uh, the, if they're smart, the seating really doesn't matter for great teams. It, it doesn't. If you're in the playoffs, you're in the playoffs with no fans. I think home court advantage only matters with fans. Well, hopefully we can see fans to some degree by the playoffs. Um, if there's a vaccine, you know what I mean? If it's uh right. If, I mean, that's, that's what five months I'm away from now. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the Mark Cuban, when he came on Bill Simmons podcast and was just talking so much about, you know, how they need fans to come back to the you know arenas, even if it's in a small capacity, I mean, that's really going to help just, you know, 
that's you know, I mean, just having just imagine twenty five percent of the fans in there, like it'd still be somewhat of an advantage just to have some cheering when you make a basket. Like right. you know, I mean, it's it's still sad <laughs> to think about the NBA without any fans and another playoffs without the fans, but you know, it, it's COVID nineteen season. What do you expect? It's just been mm-hmm. unpredictable yeah. and very lackluster. So, uh, but anyway, I mean, the playoffs were fun last year. I, I'm excited about this Pacers team. You know, my my overall thought was I think they're going to finish seventh. I think a lot of people had them penciled in at seventh um, okay. just because there's so many teams like Toronto. Uh, they're, they're a team that a lot of people predicted would be better than the Pacers. I was kind of in that boat because I'm just a big Nick Nurse believer. Mm-hmm. Then you got Boston and Philadelphia got improved. I mean, Boston actually kind of took a, took a step back. I think Philly improved overall. But with, with Kimba's injury and then losing Gordon Hayward, I feel like that was big losses for Boston. But still, I mean, with Tatum and Brown and just Marcus Smart, that group of guys, I feel like they were just – you know, a, a notch above the Pacers. And then you've got, of course, you've got uh, Miami, Brooklyn, and Milwaukee are the other three. So just there's a lot of tough teams in the in the Eastern Conference. I thought Washington would be better. I thought Atlanta would finish around ninth. And then I had Orlando actually missing the 10. I had Charlotte finishing at 10th in my predi- uh, my projections. But it's, it is what it is at this point. But I, I really do think that the Pacers are a playoff team. I think that they're a team that will cause problems. But – at the same time, in a playoff series, it, you know how this comes. In a playoff series, it always comes down to who has the best player on the court. Right. And if the Pacers don't have the best player on the court in, in, in the playoff series they're matched up with, then I could see them losing. I think that Boston is a good fit for the Pacers, a good matchup for them. And that would be a team that I'd be okay seeing in the playoffs. But, I mean, Toronto probably the same way. We haven't seen them yet. But based on how they're built, I think the Pacers could cause some problems for, for uh, Toronto as well. But, you know, when you have Giannis-type players who the Pacers have struggled with, you have Embiid, someone the Pacers have constantly struggled with, and then Kevin Durant. I mean, those three teams to me are just too good and too talented for the Pacers to beat in the first-round playoff series. So the Pacers got to kind of model like the Atlanta Hawks of like 14-15 and the Miami Heat of last year. Uh, and, the, I mean, the Heat are, were just depth, you know, and then top – and starting talent, really. I mean, that's that's what it came down to, and that's where the Pacers can beat a team that has better players, you know? Yeah. Um, it, all their guys being on par and gelling and playing much better, and I think that's what the Pacers have going to their advantage is hopefully Bjorken can un, untap something and get that ceiling a little bit higher. Yeah, and that's what the goal is, I think, for the Pacers. And I even said it at the beginning of the year, like I think that this year is kind of a – you know, uh, a gap year for them to kind of get familiar with Bjorkren, his system, see what they have with the double bigs under Bjorkren, see what Oladipo looks like. And then next year is the year that they can really start putting their stamp on this Eastern Conference and kind of show where they belong. And to me, you know, if that's making a move, if that's losing Oladipo in the offseason, at least you know what direction you're heading for the future. But, um, yeah, it's just it's, – it's a lot of things to talk about with the Pacers. So, been talking a lot of Pacers here. I know you're a guy that covers the NBA. So, is there anything on your heart – that you just want to talk about as far as the NBA goes? Mm. Man, it's tough. Besides James Harden. <laughs> I, could, I could go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, that's the talk of the town, the trade talk there. Um, don't want to necessarily get in depression mode talking about my Wolves, but uh, I don't know. What's, what's your thoughts on the Golden State Warriors? I Let's... think they're a very interesting team. <laughs> I think that's quite interesting up and down there. I mean – how about any team that started off pretty poorly, like Denver, Dallas, um, Golden State? I mean, are there any teams that you think that are just bad sample sizes that are going to turn out good? Like, 
Toronto, you mentioned, yeah, I think they're going to end up being really good again. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah, where do you want this to go? I can well, I mean, we can – I mean, I picked the Warriors to finish eighth in the playoffs. I thought okay. they would make a play-in I mean, game. Um, I was right there with you then. I, I think Draymond not being out there is a big part of this culture. And I think, you know, this is probably just like – a terrible thing to say based on my, my, my perspective, but like just seeing Draymond on TV and talking about, you know, how motivated he is and just seeing him getting in, in such better shape. I really thought like, Oh, you know, them missing the playoffs and, and being out this long could be really good for them, you know, mm-hmm. get some rest yeah, and, and, and kind of like get themselves like re-energized, you know, no That's KD. Good. And then all these injuries, you know, then when clay went down, like it really did put a sting on the, on the warriors, upcoming chances this season and i was really you know thinking about changing it once that happened but it's like you're talking about a guy in steph curry who was the back-to-back mvp of the league this is a unanimous mvp like this dude is unreal and he's a great teammate i'm sure he's not the greatest defensive player but he's a guy that can get his get a bucket anytime he wants so i i like golden state i still think that the western, the western conference is just a bear and you know you said you didn't want to bring up the wolves and i don't blame me because I'm not a believer in Minnesota, even though I like Carl Towns and not the biggest D-Lo guy. I think he's fine, but don't think he's the answer for them there. I think Anthony Edwards is a great pickup. Yeah. Um, he was the guy that I would have taken first over on the draft as well. Cool. So, I mean, I was fine with that, but I just feel like, you know, the Western Conference is just too deep for Minnesota to really, you know, make a serious run out of yeah, play-in I mean, spot. Yeah, Towns is going to be out a while too. It's pretty yeah. shitty. So it, it sucks for them, but I'm excited about Golden State because I want to see what they look like when Draymond gets back. And, you know, everybody likes to crap on Kelly Oubre right now because he can't hit a shot. Um, and a lot of people like to hate on Wiggins. You know that from his days in Minnesota. Right. But it's, uh, you know. Hey, he had a great game last night. Wiggins yeah, that's, up but last he does night. that. He does oh, that. Yeah. He, <laughs> they're, getting, they're getting the full force. It start, <laughs> he starts you incredibly low, and then he's going to hit a couple – couple of games and he'll have he'll have his eight great games throughout the year and just every time you want to start believing in him and it'll just bring you if, right if you could just get andrew wiggins to play every game like he's playing against the Cavs or the thunder then i think you know you've got your, yourself an all-star all nba level guy but unfortunately that doesn't happen except a couple times a year because i don't know what it is but it's like every time i see them play the thunder he always has a good game or like a game-winning shot like just something ridiculous and you're like okay, Andrew Wiggins. And then every time he plays the Cavs, he's just like, okay, you guys traded me for Kevin Love. Watch this. And it's like, always has a good game there. But other than that, it's just like, he's so hot and cold. Yeah, and exactly. The, the depth of the Warriors is just bad. You know what I mean? Like the guy Wiseman, I mean, I don't know what his fit's going to look like with Draymond. He's doing really good, man. Yeah. He's, he's been fun. And he, I mean, him and Terry Halliburton are probably the two best rookies right now, the way they're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I obviously believe in Wiseman a lot more and he's, looking really uh i'm not gonna say polished but he looks like he belongs okay he looks like he's comfortable out there um no matter the position they put him in no matter uh, what they're expecting of him he's just doing something that that's somewhat meaningful it's not like impactful leading to wins by any means but uh it's something that you want to see out of him uh this early in his career and uh gives a bright a glimpse of hope you can say but it, it is good it's really good what we're seeing it's just not like oh this guy is gonna be the reason why they're five and two without Draymond and uh really knows where he belongs in the court and uh a two-way monster no he's just doing 
things here and there that are showing, oh, this guy could be very, very, very good for a long time. Well, and that's a really good sign as a rookie big man because that's all you ask for. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, you know, with big men, they always take longer to develop in the NBA for some reason. It always takes them a few years to really get their feet wet. But if he can be this impactful at this moment, you know, that means that he's only going to get that much better. And how old is he? 19 years old at this point. Yep. So super young. And, you know, you were talking about the Warriors and this is something that crossed my mind. I don't know if I saw a tweet about it, but I was thinking to myself, you know, when Durant was on the Warriors, they were considered the villains of the NBA. When LeBron went to Miami, they were considered the villains of the NBA. And right now I'm thinking to myself, number one, who is the most hated player in the NBA right now? And who is the the team that's the biggest villain in the NBA right now? And I feel like that's kind of a tough, that's a tough answer because it's easy. It's James Harden. You think James Harden is the most hated player in the NBA right now? Oh yeah. It, it, what what is your reasoning for that? I just I mean it's he's I think he's always been to be honest, but okay. even more more so now just because people he gave people a reason not to like him and uh, for I don't know I don't think the majority of people even really care about strip clubs um, <laughs> or people going to strip clubs, but it's the right. fact that he wasn't there for his team in training camp and it gave him a reason and uh, they thought he was a little overweight and uh, they didn't want to consider context or anything before. And uh, which this has been very similar to the past. And maybe there's a chance he wanted to just get it out of him before the season. And he did end up making it to game one, even though they had it delayed a little bit, but let's, (laughs) let's be honest. Um, Hey, all that matters is, the reports weren't a hundred percent accurate, even though it's going to be that way all year, teams are going to stand up for their players and uh, do whatever they can to go around all these loopholes. Cause it's just going to be a season of loopholes really. Uh, but he made it to day, game one and he's played both games and he's played amazingly. Uh, but yeah, people are always going to find ways to hate on James Harden uh, always because of the way he plays it's, kind of like Malcolm Brogdon and Sabonis. They're underrated because they, people don't like watching the way they play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you throw in a personality uh, that a lot of people don't like and having things outside of the court that uh, give people a reason, just get riled up uh, and just a reason to hate this guy even more. I can say, I mean, even though, they might not even hate the reason why they hate him. <laughs> well, and the thing is, like, I still kind of think, like, if there's a team, though, I would say it's probably the Lakers, just because Anthony Davis got his way there, you know, forced his way there. They're the top oh, yeah, dog. Most, hate, most hated team, yeah. I'll yeah, yeah, yeah. Lakers all day, every day. Yeah, and they're on national media. Everybody just, you know, goes gaga over them, you know what I mean? Which is whatever. You get tired of hearing about it eventually. But I'm just like, when I look at James Harden, though, and he's probably the, you're probably right, which I would tend to gravitate towards him being the most hated player. But it's like, when I think of teams and players that are like the most hated, it's usually a team or a player that, you know, is making it to finals, you know, making it to multiple conference finals. And there has been times where he's made it. There's no doubt about it, you know, (laughs) but at the same time, I'm not trying to knock on his success, but it's usually guys in the playoffs that people just hate. And I don't, I don't know if they hate him or just hate that he, you know, doesn't seem to, always come through in the clutch in the playoffs or whatever the the, the narrative is on him uh, comes up short against other teams. You know, he can't do it the, the rocket way, that whole thing. 
but it's just like, is there any other players out there that are considered villainous? I just can't really it's think just, of it. It's such a lovable league. Man. It is. And it's, it didn't used to be that. These guys are awesome. And that's the best part. It's a, it's a player's league and uh, they get better every year and the development's so awesome to watch unfold. And um, the only other team that comes to mind is uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, I just think people will forever hate KD and for the Golden State bull crap and whatever you call that and get frustrated by and Kyrie and just the loopy guy that he is. Um, I think they're, they're right there with the Lakers as the most hated for sure. Uh, just cause of those two, I mean, nobody else on that team is really uh, even frowned upon or uh, got players that guys don't like. I mean, they're all likable players down the roster outside of those two. Uh, but how can you not like watching Katie and Kyrie on the court? It's just like, don't listen to their press conferences. Don't watch any videos with them in it and you'll be just fine. Just watch them on the court. They're as exciting as there's ever been on the court. And it's, it's been an awesome product so far outside of uh, tonight. They didn't look perfect, but um, it was a fun game going back and forth with Atlanta. That was for sure. Uh, yeah, no, but- they're, they're incredible athletes, incredible basketball players and, you know, they've, they've put on some performances in the NBA finals and ones that we'll never forget, but yeah, it's their off court stuff that makes people like them. And I think that's probably similar for James Harden. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm, I'm just trying to think like, I, I feel like maybe the, another guy that a lot of fan bases probably hate if they're not, if they're playing against him, Joel Embiid, just yeah, so much. Just he just talks that, trash, you know, right. Players that, I mean, it, it comes down to players that seem entitled or players that call out their teammates and, uh, just players that people don't think are all in on the team and uh, making players around them better and just being that perfect role model that everybody, everybody wants and they want as their franchise player. That But everybody's different. You got to embrace all these different personalities. And it's the only thing that really frustrates me with players is when they call out their teammates in press conferences when they suck. I mean, let's yeah. be honest. I mean, I can give you a, Big list of players who've done that. Um, you've had one in your past life um, over there, and he's the prime uh, example. He's, yeah. good. <laughs> he's he's kind of becoming a villain, which is weird. It's it's so weird to see he's that. bringing that on himself. Though. He you is know, it's, in it's, some yeah. ways, but yeah, it's just like he made number one on Shaqton last night too, which is just like passing to the referee when they were beat, getting beat by fifty points versus the Mavericks uh, on Sunday on Sunday afternoon, but. Oh man, poor poor Paul George. You know, at this point, I just kind of feel sorry for the guy. To be honest with you. Well, he's it's just like, the guy that never really makes players around him better. He's just such a talented player in himself. Uh, he's just a really good role player. Is what he is. I mean, that's yeah. uh, if the team around, he's going to be as good as his teammates are, and he's obviously going to. I mean, lift the team, but he's not going to lift his teammates. Uh, he's just. An, really good player let's just put it at that i mean yeah. he's probably i mean properly rated all time i'd say yeah and i and i think he's in the perfect role that he was when he got traded to okc and where he is now he's a perfect number two guy that's what we've always seen in Indiana. <laughs> yeah but i mean he <laughs> is he is a, he is a robin more than he is a batman and that's not a knock it's just he is better at being the second option and uh it's just defensively he can be a menace and oh yeah We've seen he has the talent to be an MVP candidate. There's no doubt about it. I mean, when you when you dream up the 
perfect Man. type of player. I mean, he's got a lot of those things that you want when you're talking defense. You're talking a guy that can shoot the three, guy that can get to the rim, you know, got decent handles. I mean, he's got a lot of the packages that you want, but I just oh, yeah. feel like, you know, there's guys that do it better than him. And that's why he's, you know, probably, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever in the small forward ranking in that position. But it is what it is with Paul George. I mean, I think Pacer fans are past it and they're really excited that Oladipo and Sabonis are the guys that got back. And, you know, those are two guys that are all stars in their own right and continue to play well for the Pacers. So um, as we wrap this up, I, I threw a wrap out there as a little comeback for you. You were really high on Pascal Siakam last year. Are we still mm. on the on the Pascal hype train or have we have we cooled off a little bit, Zach? Ah, you had to do that to me. Um, <laughs> definitely uh, taming a little bit, but I am not. I'm not. No, I'm not leaving. I'll never leave. A Pascal. I mean, he's still. He's still a good player. He. I mean, he's doing good things. He's just not. I thought he'd take another jump and bounce back after last year. It's three games. Okay, it's an early, early sample size. But he's a guy that should be coming out of the gates hot. So there should be no excuses for Pascal Siakam. He should have been fully ready to tear this league up right away and take advantage of the people um, in the games. You can take advantage of other teams. That's for sure. But uh, he hasn't had bad games. He's had decent games, good games, uh, just not great games in the games that I'd expect and, and more. I mean, he had 15 rebounds in a game. He had six and eight assists and two out of the three um, 2016, 20 is just not shooting great percentages right now he's really only had one bad shooting game <laughs> let's be honest um so the biggest thing is that he's not leading to wins okay uh they're 0 three right now and he's i mean he's making a lot of dumb mistakes in crunch time that's that's the biggest thing where he's looking closer to paul george than uh like a jason tatum or a even I'm not going to say Kawhi because I never thought he'd be Kawhi, but I thought he'd be like Paul George or better, but he's looking more just like Paul George. Let's, let's be honest, just like that. <laughs> um, so let's, let's keep it at that. I still think, I still believe in him. I'm not going to give up for him to take that top 10 leap that I think he ca- could be, can be before the season, but it's definitely my percentage is going down. I'll tell you that. Yeah, no, I'm. <laughs> I I don't. I mean, when, hey, you out, when you were out there that high on them on the fourth season show last year, I was like, are we? Are we? I mean, I get the, that he's really improved and he's really developed, but it's like, I just, I just don't know how much I believe in uh, Pascal Siakam as like a top ten, top fifteen player, like maybe top twenty, twenty five. Like, sure, I'll give it to you. Like, he's got a lot of skill sets that showcase he could be a really good player, but I needed a larger sample size, I think. And hey, you know what? I, I don't mind a guy that's bold and you were very adamant about it. You did not try to shy away from it. You, you had guests on, you told them what you felt and whether they agreed or disagreed, <laughs> yeah. you, you stuck to it. And uh, you know, I, I appreciate that, but you also have a brand new podcast that you've uh, just launched. So tell the people about that, where they can find you at and uh, what you guys got going on over there. I appreciate it. And before I do this, Pascal, has improved as a playmaker. He's averaging a career high in assists right now. Okay. He's okay, averaging okay. five assists a game. 83% for the free throw line. He's never been above 78. So he's doing some categories a little better, some things, but yeah, that crunch time play, Pascal, please do not let me down. Anyways, <laughs> Alex, fun as always. Appreciate you having me on. My new show is called The Noble and Rue Show. We're about 20 shows in. Uh, we have gotten a lot of 
different personalities from LeVar Ball to uh, first NFL player. We got some uh, big name NFL players, uh, musicians, athletes, all in the works. Uh, Colin Sexton's been our best uh, NBA player we've had. Uh, so the big names keep rolling. Uh, we're growing at a good rate. Um, everything's on ball is life. So please check us out, rate, subscribe, tell me what you like, don't like what type of guests, and I'll try to work on it for you. Awesome, man. Well, make sure you guys check that out. I know Zach is just a grinder and does great work. So, uh, be sure to check that out. And if you, if you do subscribe, go back and listen to some of those old episodes, uh, LeVar ball as somebody that you can never hear too much of, or, Maybe you can, but uh, he's always got interesting things to say. But uh, yeah, yeah, so thanks, everybody, for uh, listening to another episode of Setting the Pace. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA and follow our podcast at Setting the Pace 3. We will talk to you all uh, in a little bit. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.